0: Are you interested in learning skills to tackle a specific problem in your school, district, or local union? Consider applying for an OEA Empowerment Academy to receive the support you need to take action. Details at grow.oregoned.org. You're listening to OEA Grow, a member led production of the Oregon Education Association and a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. OEA Grow is by members for members. In Season 8, we're all in this together with Beth Adelon.
1: Welcome back to OEA Grow Podcast Season 8 where we discuss the different connections that educators build in support of their students. Today, we're speaking with Monica Bergman-Perez about her 20 years of experience in early intervention and early childhood special education. So, Monica, as we start talking, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you
2: came to be involved in this field? Absolutely. I'm glad to be here. Thanks so much, Beth. Um, let's see. I was in the Northeast. I was born and raised by an immigrant mother and an American father. So I was raised bilingual. And eventually somebody came to me that I had volunteered with in high school and said, Oh, we need a bilingual speech path. Why don't you come try it out? I was like, No, 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 that's not the way my brain works. Um, But I did. I went and started working in the school district and with early intervention, early childhood special ed aged children in having a bilingual focus and loved it. I noticed that there was this area of need and with my skill set, I could help fill that. So I went to grad school to become a speech pathologist and 20 years goes by in a blink. So here I
1: still am. So let's talk about this need for the bilingual support because uh, we're having increasing uh, bilingual students coming into our public education. Um, What does this mean
2: for us as educators? Well, it means that it would be really helpful to, um, acknowledge and embrace a culturally responsive manner of interacting with all the individuals, all the students and families that we are forward facing. Um, when I started working with the school district, um, this the, the particular district was about 86% Hispanic. And at that time, the superintendent said, you are not allowed to speak Spanish in the schools. Mm. Um that was slightly disastrous for working with some of these children and families. So I absolutely ignored that directive, did what I felt was right and made strides with the children. So ha- having a disconnect with home language and school language or the parents abilities to interact with teachers and advocate for their children in the school districts can cause a great disconnect in how, children perform or grow with how we're working with them. So what is the
1: support system now in Oregon in the public Mm -hmm. schools for children who come in um, maybe not speaking English at all? That happens,
2: I'm sure. It does, absolutely. Um, So there are newcomer students that come into the school district and they are evaluated to see what their language proficiency is and they're worked with, with a, a English as a second language or English language learner teacher. Um, that's the school district. I focus on birth to five. And we don't have a system of support that is signif- that is developed specifically to work with those families, aside from what I do. Um, I've been covering three counties in Central Oregon, um, Jefferson County, Warm Springs, Crook County, and Deschutes County as their bilingual speech-language pathologist support for the birth-to-five population, which is, in translation, EI, ECSE, Early Intervention, Early Childhood Special Education. What I do is I connect with the families and with the students, try to figure out ways that are beneficial for them to focus on growth in their areas of need, and then I help educate my colleagues or support my colleagues and providing those services for the children once we can identify those areas and what works well for them.
1: Mm-hmm. Can you um, d- talk to us a little bit more about this Most to Five program? Because this is not um, K through 12 that we're usually used to talking about. How, how do children, what, what is the connection there with the uh, children to find this program, to be enrolled in this program? How does it work?
2: Sure. So early intervention is birth to three years old. Um, to become eligible for that program, they need to show needs needs in developmental areas. So from birth to three, they're evaluated in all developmental areas. So motor skills, cognition, um, communication, um, adaptive skills, so life skills. And when they show an, a significant need, then they qualify for the program. For three to five year olds for the early childhood special education program, we also go in, we do a screening here in Bend to identify the areas of need. Then we evaluate those areas to see if there's a significant discrepancy from the typical bell curve to make them eligible for our services. So all of these children birth to five would classify under the IDEA special education laws. So they all show some extra need for support to develop their skill set to be ready or more ready for kindergarten.
1: Okay, And it's not
2: just language that you're dealing with. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. <clears throat> well, as a speech pathologist, thats would be my primary Direct That's what you deal with. Yes. To deal with the language, but I also um, was providing classes, education classes for parents in Spanish um, for a program called Project Impact that focuses on children who have uh, social and or communication delays. Uh, A lot of times that aligns with children who have a label of autism. So it
0: is
2: it is multi scope. But the main focus for me as a speech path is that communication realm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But what I'm hearing from you um, is that
1: it's difficult to separate language from the other skills, the the social, the cultural. Uh, I can imagine uh, it's it's all in there, and so even as a speech pathologist, I'm sure
2: you deal with with cultural and social issues as well. Absolutely, and. Part of the reason back in the day I I spoke Spanish to the children, even though the superintendent said, you know, "Mm -mm, we don't do that in this district, um, was because I was honoring their culture, their heritage, their family. And that created the relational trust from which we could work together and do our therapy sessions together. Um, When they trust you more, then that's a better foundation for which to make progress.
1: And um, let's talk about the families, because the uh, children, uh, they may come to school, they may come to this program, but they go home to their families. And it's also their families, too. Um, I'm interested in how the families know about the program to get in touch with you.
2: Great. We have a referral process. Um, So families can self-refer. They can find whatever early intervention, early childhood special ed program is in their area, call and say, I have some concerns about my child. Can you please evaluate them? The evaluations are always free. So that's an automatic available resource for families. We also have referrals from other professionals in the, in, in the education realm. So um, private daycares or preschools, we work very closely with Head Start programs Doctors' offices also refer patients to us for us to evaluate and see if they qualify for our services. So really it's, um, it's a community network where we can refer from and also families themselves can refer, self-refer to our programs.
1: Okay, so you are basically uh, helping the students and um, helping the families as well. I'm I'm sure, your connection with the families themselves. Would you like to talk about
2: that? Absolutely. Um, The the work that I've been doing over the past couple of years has been focused um, on Spanish dominant or bilingual families who may have difficulty accessing the services when they are English only. So more specifically, Birth to Three is really a parent coaching program. We oftentimes will go into the home. We Mm -hmm. will give them strategies, Um, we will model those strategies for them, give them an opportunity to practice them so that they can work with their child to promote that language growth or that communication growth or any of the other areas they may be working on. Once a child is approaching three years old, they go through evaluation again to be part of the three to five program. That program is more of a center-based program than it is a home-based program. Um, so the families aren't as integrated into the therapy, but it's still essential because families have their children more time than any of us do mm-hmm, for them course. to understand um, what we're working on and why, how they can support it and what difference that makes and how they can advocate for their, child, for their child's learning and for their child's growth um, within our program and beyond our program. Those are things that I work really closely with families on. Um, It's sometimes difficult to find wraparound services when we're in rural areas. And that's also a piece of the puzzle for me and some of my colleagues to work with these families together.
1: So the um, three to five program is almost, uh, well, I guess it's literally a preschool. So it's based on getting some of those skills ready for the school that comes later?
2: It is, yes. Um, So those programs, it depends on which district you're in across um, Oregon. The timing and the frequency vary depending on where you are and funding and staffing and availability. Um, But yes, the three to five program is like a preschool. It's an early childhood special education preschool. Some of them have typical peers to help promote the modeling and Um, give good language models, and support the students with special needs. Um, And it it, it does help to promote their readiness for a school program. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then they move from the three to five program into regular kindergarten, into whatever school district they're in?
2: Correct. So they're last year with us in ECSE we are in communication with the school district in which those children will go to. Um, There's a transition meeting that happens where we discuss with the school district, the parent, um, what the needs of that child are and how to structure their program in kindergarten to help support them to continue to grow.
1: Oh, I think that's wonderful
2: for uh, the, the children, but also the parents, I
1: would think. Monica, you were discussing how it, helps the students learn uh, pre-K to navigate the school system, how to go into kindergarten, how to be kindergarten students in the public schools in Oregon. Um, talk to us a little bit about how this helps parents to navigate the school system.
2: Well, imagine being in a system where you don't speak the language and your child is going to that school. They're learning the language. They're being exposed to it. But you're having a hard time understanding what's being requested of you to support your child. And you also aren't quite sure how the system works because it's not familiar to you. Well, when a family is with us in the early childhood special ed system, we are able to build rapport over multiple years a lot of the time with that family. And during the transition time for them to go to kindergarten, we as a trusted person is helping them through the process. We're answering questions, we're preparing them to ask certain questions. Um, We are assuring them that we're handing them off with a plan in place to support their child in kindergarten. So it's beautiful when we have interpreters that are well-trained when it comes to special education language because that's a whole other language in itself. it's wonderful when we can have professionals who are bilingual to help support that because that's an even stronger connection with families when you don't have an interpreter between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, that would really be best practice if we could do that across the board. Um, and it's, it's just helpful for families to be feel like they belong in the system, like they are being seen and heard exactly where they are so that they can advocate for their child. And that's something that I focus strongly on with the families that I work with.
1: I think that's wonderful. Um, uh, Our audience here uh, at OEA, um, a a lot of us are K through 12 teachers. And um, many of us come into contact with students, many students from different cultures, different languages, different backgrounds. Do you have any advice, any suggestions for classroom teachers who who may not speak the language? Uh, Are there resources that they can reach out to?
2: Absolutely. Across Oregon, there are those English as a second language teachers. ESOL, some of them are called. ELL, some of them are called English language learning teachers. Um, Those are teachers within your schools typically that can come in and they might not speak the language But they are trained in how to teach students from other languages, how to learn English, how to support them in the classroom, um, scaffolding techniques to help them succeed. So, yes, it's an additional responsibility on the teacher who has that child. But there are some systems in place, depending on which location you're working in, um, of course, (laughs) to, to, to help support you as a teacher, and in turn help you support the child in their learning
1: mm-hmm. and and what about culturally because uh, that's good we've got the resources for language um, can't the teachers the classroom teachers also um, well it's a learning experience for everyone don't you agree with, with
2: the culture opening up the classroom in that way absolutely and I think this is where self-exploration and self-awareness comes into place um, knowing what what we believe, what our values are, as well as what those things might be based on within ourselves. So when we can understand ourselves and what biases there are, because we all have some implicit bi- implicit biases inside of us, um, knowing what those biases are and then operating with an open mind to expand what we might be able to present with or um think about when interacting with other cultures and be sensitive to how those things look different without judgment is really key to, um, being human centered and focusing on that connection because without the connection, we aren't really able to do a lot of the meaningful work that comes with education.
1: Mm, mm,
2: I think that's right. And then it, it opens up the classroom. Um, It gives it some breath, doesn't it? Um, Absolutely. And I feel that that modeling that for the other students is just so important as well, for them to be able to see that you are open, you're inclusive, you are making a little bit of a difference there. And, you know, setting that model of kindness and human-centered connection can also help us address some of the bullying issues that I hear are such a problem in elementary school and middle school.
1: So let's focus on the students themselves Um, coming into a classroom, whether it's birth to five or K through 12, um, their language is different. Um, They aren't familiar with the
2: culture. Can we talk a little bit about the difficulties that they face? Absolutely. And this of course depends on which culture the child's coming from. So, I'll speak to the one that I know um, more than the rest, which would be the Hispanic culture. And there is a language barrier, not understanding what somebody is saying, um, maybe picking out a couple words per sentence, but maybe not being able to put them together and make meaning of them. So you don't understand what's expected of you when it comes to language. Um, Another barrier culturally might be the food that's in the schools. That food may not look anything like those children have been exposed to prior. Oh
1: my um, goodness. Yeah.
2: The, just the culture of interactions. Um, I, I grew up bicultural, so I saw the difference. Uh, my Hispanic family was a little bit louder. There was music, they were more chaotic. It was, uh, it, there was a lot of joy in how those interactions went. And it wasn't disrespectful to interact in that way, but in the more white centric culture, that loud, the interruption, the, the, the how they live together um, felt more disrespectful. So you have to be in line and you have to wait your turn. So even these pieces um, can impact how a student interacts within our districts, within our classrooms.
1: I can, I can also say that it comes into play into classroom dynamics. Uh, and I can see when, when you're speaking about the different cultural ways of communicating, that might even come into discipline in the classroom and misunderstandings, I would
2: imagine. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And I don't think that we, um, I think that in early childhood education, early childhood special ed, we are more focused on the developmental stages that we're in. So we expect more movement. We expect to be teaching more impulse control. We um, are helping students learn themselves and how their engine's running and how to self-regulate. And in kindergarten and the grade schools, K through 12, sometimes those teachers are expecting those pieces to already be in play, to already be mastered, to already have been worked on. Um, and that's also a disconnect in what the cultural expectations are versus what the educational expectations are. Mm -hmm. So what you're telling us
1: is that when the children go home, the students go home, they're not just changing the language, they're changing patterns of behavior. Um, Mm -hmm. So they have to be not only bilingual, but by, I don't know what the word is, but um, just acting in different ways and what is socially
2: acceptable. And, and that's one of the beautiful things about being raised bilingually and biculturally. Um, it attunes your brain in a different way so that you can um, tune into what's going on around you and you can adapt to those things and you can perform uh, or present in a different way depending on the situation. You can use the appropriate language depending on the situation, which is, oh, with my grandparents who only speak Spanish, maybe I only speak Spanish with them. But with my parents who are bilingual, I code switch. I use both languages within the same sentence. But oh, my, my other grandparents only spoke English. So in speaking with them, I had to only speak English with them or they didn't understand what I was saying. So bilingual children have that strength, that beautiful strength of um, being attuned to situations. And they can learn to adapt and use that um, beautifully in, in education, in business, in anything they move forward towards. But I think the key is celebrating that ability and honing that ability rather than forcing them to perform only in one way.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that's one thing that we can do as educators is realize that as you're saying, it's a strength to be able to code switch is the word to code switch, um, it, it gives you a flexibility. It gives you an ability to communicate with a broader spectrum of human beings. Um, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, so
2: that's, yeah. And, and you can use strategies being a monolingual teacher or a monolingual therapist, you can use strategies that are helpful. Um, evidence shows that in speech therapy, if you're working with a bilingual student, So L1 would be their primary language, what they came in with. L2 would be their learning language or their second language. If you're giving therapy in L2, they still make progress. Typically, it's a little bit slower progress. It might be a little more focal on that second language, but you're still making progress as long as you are able to meet them where they are as an individual, which really is what the special ed focus is as well. And if we could bring that into general education, that would be phenomenal. The cool thing is, if you are a therapist that can give their therapy in their L1, in their primary language, everything that they're learning there translates into L2 as well. And they're making more progress because it's meaningful to them in their own language. So recruiting individuals who can speak both languages to do this work I think is crucial, I think makes a huge difference in the progress that children make. Um, It's a beautiful gift, and it's something in the system right now where we're having trouble just finding teachers and just finding therapists sounds like an exponential ask. I also see the capacity of growing individuals in our community that show certain skill sets or dispositions into these positions would definitely be the way to go.
1: Mm hmm. hmm. That that makes perfect sense. And what we're suggesting that the teachers do in the classroom is actually uh, creating that sense of of there's not just one way. There's not just one language. There's not just one cultural norm. Um, there might be things that need to be in place for classroom organization, but um, it, it can stretch a little bit. Um, Oh, I love this. I love this. Um, So, Monica, you've told us so much here, uh, so much to think about in uh, classrooms and uh, in whatever part of education that we're in. Uh, I can think it extends to librarians choosing books for the library. Um, I, I can see it extending into music programs and art programs Um
2: so there are all sorts of ways that we can do this, is is that correct? Absolutely. And I think with the resources online, um there there are so many opportunities to expand and to maybe even share those books across districts so that we can switch them out and make it a little more diverse. Um that being said, I also want to acknowledge that that teachers and librarians they have a lot on their plate already.
1: Oh and yes, this might
2: sound this might sound like an additional ask. Um, I really want to make it clear that these these strategies these when you can approach your classroom in a human centered way with kindness and openness and inclusivity and acceptance of all these differences that serves every single child in your classroom. It doesn't just focus on the individuals who are coming in with differences. So it is something for us all to develop individually, but I think that it makes a huge impact for every single student we interface with if we do that. Oh, thank you. So thank you for the insights you've shared about
1: the crucial connections between our students, their culture, their success in the classroom. Um, Do you have
2: anything else that you'd like to share with us? There is one thing, Um, I think from the organizational standpoint, um, from the districts or the educational service districts that are looking for staff, I think considering what, um, what our salaries are, what our benefits might be, how they can grow individuals from our own communities into these roles, I do believe that um, funding is an issue in Oregon in general, especially for early intervention, early childhood special education programs, and that's impacting how we can find staff and how we can keep staff. And I think that's a bigger discussion than um, we can enter into here, but I also wanted to give it a voice for future consideration and to plant the seed um, statewide and likely nationwide especially for these programs that are early intervention, early childhood special education, those are the formative years. These are the years when addressing mental health, when addressing educational differences, language differences, social communication differences, um, sensory differences, motor differences, all make a difference because there's so much exponential growth in these years. And we're building the foundation for everything that is to come to be built upon if there's cracks if there's pieces missing then that impacts how they move through the rest of their lives and to me that states the importance of fully funding and pro- and promoting these um these approaches at this young age so that we can build their capacity later on in a more concrete flowing manner so
1: true thank you thank you so much Um, so we thank Monica Bergman Perez for her insight and thanks to our viewers for listening once again you can tune in each week for a different conversation new ideas new insights new thoughts (laughs) shared by educators for educators
0: for more oea professional learning opportunities visit grow.oregonad.org